You're joining All Things College and Career for in-depth stories and advice with your hosts, Meg Gary and Bobby Ryan, owners of Academic and Career Advising Services. Hey, everybody. We have a great guest for you today. We're really excited to introduce Jose Diaz Aquino. Jose is what we call a double switcher on this podcast. We stole that from Dr. Don Graham. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's her Shout out coined, to Dr. Don. Yes, it's her coined phrase, but we love using it because it's so apt. So a double switcher is someone that had a career in a certain industry and not only switched careers, but switched industries as well. So brand new job, brand new industry. And that's what Jose did. So in the first part of the podcast, we talk about his career as a quality assurance engineer, which is a great topic for anybody that's looking into getting into that field. He also concentrates a lot on his time package engineering. And I know a lot of our listeners out there are interested in that field as well. So if you ever wanted to know why your box of Cheerios has all that air in the bag, and if you ever wanted to know how the heck do you package all of these products, you're going to want to listen to this podcast today. He actually majored in chemical engineering, so you can see how you can translate into different fields from different engineering backgrounds. He spent a good long time doing that, but then one day he just said, hey, I'm ready for a switch. And Meg, can you tell us about that? Yes, Jose made a big switch. He is now currently the assistant director for career programming at the Northern Arizona University, NAU, in the career development officer. He is a higher ed professional in enrollment management, admissions, and career development. So we asked Jose how he made this major shift from engineering background and quality assurance and packaging science over into career development. And his story is really fascinating. And for anybody interested in making a similar switch, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. Yeah, a similar switch or any switch. All right. So let's get on to our podcast with Jose. Yes, let's do it. Hello, Jose Diaz Aquino. Welcome to All Things College and Career. Thank you so much for doing our podcast today. Hi, thank you all for having me here today. Very nice to see you and speak with you today, Jose. Now, you have been with General Mills for almost nine years, or you were with General Mills for almost nine years. And in that time, you were all over the place between Chicago, Mexico, Melbourne, which I've been doing well there, Minnesota, Minneapolis, uh, so basically in New York. So basically a lot of U.S. areas and outside the U.S. as well. So you had a, a long career at General Mills. And who doesn't know General Mills because Cheerios <laughs> and, <laughs> and so many other things. I mean, the cereals, but many, many other products. Everybody has eaten General Mills at least once in their life. So we wanted to start off by asking you about your degree in chemical engineering and how that led into you working for General Mills. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny because I can get to tell students when I'm working with them today, which I'm sure we'll get to later, that I, if they had Cheerios any time in their life, I, no kidding, probably made it yeah. <laughs> as one of the engineers. Um, but yeah, um, as a chemical engineering student, I had this very cool experience that I got to go to a lot of different internships, which is, is one of the big benefits that I got to study, studying something like that in a STEM field. And I actually... Um, 
up to my third year in college, wanted to do a PhD. I don't know why I, <laughs> at that point, personally, I know, I think I was just a little bit crazy. I don't think I would have had fun doing that. <laughs> and that year, one of my professors told me, hey, you could come and do undergraduate research with me. So I, I took the opportunity. I just took a leap and said, yep, I'll do undergraduate research with you because it was leading that path to the PhD. That summer, I was able to actually do a, an internship at the University of Notre Dame. Luckily, I did those two things because I got to do that those career experiments really early on and realized that being in a lab was not my thing uh, at all. That's good. To and find it made out. me go and say, mm. yeah, and it made me go and say, I should go to this career fair. Our, our university, University of Puerto Rico, has a really, really good career fair. We get some of the biggest companies in the world to go recruit students there because we have really good bilingual talent yeah. and an AVID accredited program. So I got my first shot at working with Procter & Gamble, and I did research and development there. Didn't love the research and development area so much. Once I had that one experience above even my internship, the next year it was like 50 companies wanted to interview me. Nice. So it really kind of opened that door to, to show them I've had some of these skills that I actually have now applied in an actual company and, um, and be able to speak to them a lot better. So I got the opportunity to intern with General Mills. That's how I kind of got into that area. I knew I wanted to go into manufacturing because I knew I loved working with people. Mm. And it was just a home run from there. Um, I did my internship during the summer and they offered me to come back full time. And that's how my adventure started with them back in 2008. I love that. And I think this is a great lesson to all of our listeners to try things out. By doing those early on research positions, you learned right away that that was not the path for you. So trying it out was really impactful. But when you say you made the cereal, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, so I was literally at the plants. Um, I think the most fun cereal that I got to work with was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm. So as a, as a chemical engineer, what do I do in the food industry? That's a question I would get a lot when I was recruiting students. I was the person who was the quality engineer for our plant. And our plant was very big, the one I was at in West Chicago first and the one in Buffalo. But in West Chicago, we had about four quality engineers. And then we had a team of that, a systems engineer. And we had our project manager slash capital manager. So they would bring in capital projects. So the system engineer and the quality engineer really were the technical resources for the floor helping out the team leaders and helping out operators with any technical problem. I focused on the product. So if the Cheerios were coming out soggy, they were calling the quality engineer to figure out what was going on. Did we need to change our moistures? Did we need to up the steam level in the cooker? Did we need to look at what was going on in the mix before that? So we were putting all those controls in from the beginning. I also focused a lot on regulatory. So any time the FDA walked in the door, mm. We were the ones having to kind of tour them around, making sure that we were answering all their questions, any complaints that came through to the point where my last role with General Mills was the quality manager at the Buffalo plant. So I was the person that if somebody was going to jail, it was the plant manager and then me on that on that oh, paper oh, signing no those, those papers saying yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, nobody wants soggy Cheerios. So <laughs> nobody wants soggy Cheerios. Got, I'm glad you got that squared <laughs> away. <laughs> Because I don't remember eating Cheerios as a kid, but I can remember feeding my kids Cheerios. <laughs> Every kid loves Cheerios. Anyway, so, okay, so you study chemical engineering, and can you tell the listeners, like, how that transitioned into, into quality engineering? Because 
you know, different types of engineering could go into quality engineering and chemical being one of them. Was it because it lent itself well to a food manufacturing industry or how did that translate? Yeah. So if you're looking at somebody looking at studying chemical engineering, you're going to be doing a lot of problem solving. Right. A mistake sometimes people make is comparing us to a chemist and we do study some chemistry, but we're not as in depth into what the chemistry is behind anything. It's more, how do you make those reactions occur? And I think that's the part that really translates itself really well into the food industry is we're working with cookers where we're making dough and that dough has to go through a chemical transformation and a process where we're actually taking it from all these different components into one component that's sticking together. We're having to go through drying processes and it, and it can get very complicated. This is where you need an engineer, right? Where um, are you drying off the surface of water? Are you drying off internal water? You need to do it at the right way to make sure that those cereals do expand and become the final product that people are seeing. So a lot of the statistical background that I learned in my engineering degree is really what I think I use most in quality engineering. And as I was becoming a certified quality engineer, that really helped me out a lot. But just the problem solving piece, being right. able to go in and hear from the operators, here's what's happening and being able to translate that talk from literally then telling them I'm hearing this noise coming from this piece of the equipment and me able to go back, look at a piping and instrumentation diagram and say, OK, I think this is where this is coming through. I can follow the process from front to back and understand exactly what an auger should be doing, what rotary valve should be happening and work with the mechanics on that as well. Right. And that's not chemical engineering. But as you pointed out very correctly, that engineering and engineering degree really makes you a thinker and a problem solver. And even though an auger isn't something you're going to study in chemical engineering, you figured out how to just problem solve. And that's the real important piece, I think, in any engineering field is that ability to just get to the bottom of the problem and be able to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And being flexible, right? Understanding right. that what's in front of you happened because of a reason and being able to understand that what are the steps to get there? Mm hmm. So, Jose, I guess we should just back up a bit and I should share with the listening audience that Bobby is also an engineer, mechanical <laughs> engineer background. So yeah. that's why she's weighing in. On yeah, yeah. Jose, I think yeah, Jose and I were um, messaging on LinkedIn. So we, oh, so <laughs> we, were, we were speaking the same language. Yeah, there. I saw, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, not in my wheelhouse at all. But, um, but anyway, would you say, Jose, that chemical engineering is the best training to for somebody that would like to go into manufacturing engineering or food quality assurance engineering? Yeah, I think there there's a lot of different disciplines that fit in really well. Um, so from a quality and regulatory standpoint, industrial engineering is one that fits in very well because Literally, they study how to optimize processes, and that's a lot of what they focus on. Okay. So a lot of them were able to go in and, and do a lot of statistical process control, um, really data analysis, and understand that piece of where you put the right personnel. Mm -hmm. We brought in as chemical engineers and mechanical engineers, we're bringing in more of that technical process leadership and understanding that area. But that doesn't mean that we did it just innately better than anybody else. Some people are just, they think like that. Mm -hmm. Um, microbiologists and food microbiologists and food scientists were very, very important in our teams because they could understand just a different aspect of how that process was happening for the cooking process, for the tasting process. We had sensory programs at the plant where we were tasting product every day. So those food scientists, they were very beneficial on that area. And in general, 
something like an electrical engineer is very, very needed right now across all of, of manufacturing. Yeah. You think of plants that got built in the 30s, 40s, um, 60s, 50s, and had a lot of analog going on. And now we're making this huge transition into not being in the analog world and being more in the digital world. Mm -hmm. So electrical engineers, computer engineers are completely necessary to be out on the floor understanding what do operators need and how do they interact with with equipment and how do we make it easy for them? Makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I would say too that in a manufacturing environment, in, in my experience at least, and I bet you will say the same, Jose, is that one of the biggest things to be successful is to actually listen to the people that are running the machines, <laughs> the people that are putting the product through, because that's the magic right there. If you have, can have a good relationship with them and listen to what they're telling you and actually try to help them and fix those problems, you know, it just makes for a good harm. harm uh, what am I trying to say? Harmonious. Harmonious <laughs> relationship. Yeah, that's the word. I was going to say harmonic. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you're talking engineering. <laughs> yeah. But and, and of course, when that person's been running that piece of equipment for 30 years, and, and this is what they do day in, day out, they know things that you don't know and that you will never know for about sure. that. It's how do you tie that bigger picture into it and help and help them solve those problems? Absolutely. They need to be your best friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Jose, what would you say would be the advantages and drawbacks of going into this area for somebody considering it? Yeah. The, if you're somebody who loves being a technical resource, who loves being a go-to person, that's amazing. But there's always drawbacks to that type of stuff. I was on call 24-7 when I was at the plant Wow. because you've got we've got our systems and there's only one quality engineer, one system engineer for that system. So at 2 a.m., something goes wrong that the plant's stopping. It's you, you need to think about production. That's millions of dollars that aren't getting produced in that shift because they're not getting shipped to go to a customer. So we need to be on call to do that. That I would say that could be one of the drawbacks. Earlier on in my career, I didn't have kids. I didn't have my <laughs> wife. So I was like, I don't care. You need me to go into the plant at 2 a.m.? Yeah. Let me put my boots on. I'll, I'll be there. But as I started kind of getting further along in my career, that became a little bit harder. It's a it's a place where you need to be very organized, specifically talking about quality and regulatory operations. Yeah. You need to be the policy person. You need to be the procedure person. So a lot of what you do is influencing others because as the quality engineer, I was not the supervisor of the person on the floor. I was not the supervisor of the team leader who was making actions happen every day. So I need to prove to them why what I'm doing is beneficial to the big picture of making that product safe for uh, for human consumption. So that's a skill that not everybody has and is and can be very frustrating depending on the atmosphere that you're in and the plant that you're in. So being very patient yeah. is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're suffering through that process. But when it happens, that to me was the part that was really exciting is when you get to see that process actually come through and people get it. Like I'm making babies first food, like Bobby said. Mm -hmm. Like you're actually having them understand that that's why we have this metal detector there. That's why we have these protections across the system. That's why you're doing weight checks. Um, that makes you feel really good because, you know, you can go home knowing that you did something good for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Meg has told you, we, we get some questions about specifically packaging engineering. And I know that wasn't your specific area, but that you had a lot of experience with that. Could you speak to that process a little bit? Like what goes into 
becoming a packaging engineer? And then once you're in there, what kind of work are you doing? What's your day look like? Yeah. So in what what goes into becoming a packaging engineer, it, it's like anything. If you have certain skills, like you could go into it, but there are some very, very good packaging engineering programs in the United States. I know for where we were recruiting, we were going to University of Wisconsin Stout. They had a very good packaging engineering program and also the Michigan State University were some of like the two, two best programs that we recruited from. So that if you're looking for that top tier packaging engineering program, it's going to have a lot of similarities with mechanical engineering, but they kind of specialize more in that packaging area. I heard Clemson University too. I don't know if Clemson. Has- yeah. And, and like I said, I don't, I'm not, I'm not yeah, here selling. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I know those two. I, I know I, I would, I would tell somebody go and do some of that research. What are some of the programs that are really right. getting the their name out there and students are getting recruited from those schools. Mm-hmm. But other than that, if, uh, there was a lot of mechanical engineers in the packaging area. I would say mechanical and chemical are two of the most varied um, disciplines that you can go into many, many fields. Oh, that's a good tip right there. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> and and then from the how do I apply it? So for me, I experienced it in two ways. So at the plant, we were doing the how does this material work? It was very frustrating for operators when they try to put and you think about a box and this is literally just corrugated film, just cardboard that's corrugated. And it needs to bend and fold in a certain way and meet certain criteria for the bag to be able to go in it and the cereal to go in and be able to ship out. These machines are running. We're we're packing. The only thing that was holding us back from packing faster is that we can only pack at a certain speed because of gravity. Thinking about that, right? That's how crazy we've done this for so many years that gravity is the only thing holding yeah. us back. If not, we could go faster. <laughs> um, yeah. So when you get a box that doesn't line up perfectly, the machine, this goes crazy. It says, I don't know what to do. Right. So that was a lot of what we did was what is, what is the size of what we're doing? Why are we having defects? Is it slightly askew to the wrong side? Is the glue not going into the right place? Is your eye where the machine sees that machine has like reflectors that tells it where the material is. If it can't hit that, the machine doesn't know what to do. So in the plant, we were doing a lot of troubleshooting for those materials that came in. But this is the the beauty of how it expands so much more. We were also working with external vendors that brought us those and suppliers that brought us those materials. Yeah. And when we were bringing in a new product, I mean, it needs to be, it needs to be what we needed to be for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So we're working with them on that design from the initial sketches of what this is going to look like to what material we choose for what reason, how thick it is, how malleable it is, how much moisture can get in and out of that. One of the funny things that I learned was I was on the bugles line. So literally you think of bugles that people put in their fingers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we are, we're making product in the Midwest, but we're shipping through the entire country and it has to go over the the Rocky mountains. And the altitude is a huge change going from zero altitude to um, 14,000 feet in the air yeah. in some case or close to it. So if you don't fill them up the right way or have channels for air to leak out and in, they can pop. Yeah. So these are the types of things that people ask. I remember when I was little, why is, why is this bag of chips so empty? Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they leave about 50% of that with air so that you can have that wiggle room to let air in and out. So those are the types of things as an engineer that you're thinking about, right? It's that whole process and going from the material being made all the way to that. Can it be opened by the entire population? You have older population that can't open bags as easily. 
So we need to make those bags. We're putting too much tape, too much glue on them. That's hard for them. So it's a bad experience. They're not going to come back to buy the product. Mm -hmm. Then the the other piece where we had it was when I was in Minneapolis. So there I was in the business teams. And at that point for, for me, I was looking at food safety. So as you're making an oatmeal, for example, an oatmeal needs to be able to be heated in a microwave, but not bring certain microorganisms in that may be growing in there. So we need to make a bag that you can heat to a certain temperature and it's going to take those things and distribute that heat appropriately throughout the whole product. The other thing is we always talked about the first moment of truth in consumer products, which is when you go to that aisle and you're going to look at it and whether you make that decision whether you buy it or not, packaging plays the one of the biggest roles in that, right? Yeah. And I think that that's one of those sure. things that people just don't think about. It's driving your behaviors as a consumer. If you see this really, really nice packaging, it might be the exact same product as the one next to it, but that one is the one you buy and you pay two, three more dollars per ounce for it sometimes just because it was in a recyclable bag or it was in this bag that looked natural versus the other one is just this generic bag that came out. So those are things that you need to be thinking about as you're running your business and making a product. So much goes into this, whoever would have thought. And I do feel a little better knowing that the air is intentional. I just always thought it was a way to rip you off. <laughs> yeah, believe me, that the weight has to be correct. The FDA would not let us get away okay. with that. Well, that's yeah. good to know. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like this much air in there. I'm getting ripped off. No, expansion. I think we should go on to your latest career. And what fascinates us about this is that you are a career switcher. I mean, I would call this a double switch if you're looking at Dr. Don's book, <laughs> Switchers, which is an excellent book. Dr. Don Graham, she has a great podcast and show. But um, what you did is what she calls a double switch. Not only did you change careers, but she changed industries as well. So can you talk about how you decided to go from engineering into education, essentially, and then further. You started with a master's in education. so Yeah, so I, I feel like most people have this, but you always have that little voice in your head that's telling you, you're, for me, it was always happening. Like, what am I doing? When you get that call at 2 a.m., like, yeah. is this what I want to do every single day? Right. And for the most part, I could say yes. But I started kind of materializing in my head, what are the things that I really like to do? I got this really great opportunity because when you're in a technical field, HR can do certain types of interviews, but they need a technical manager to be able to interview candidates coming in. Mm -hmm. So I got the opportunity to lead recruiting for essentially all of the conferences that we would go out to for Latinx or Hispanic populations for General Mills for the quality and regulatory area. And I then eventually got to be the lead recruiter for the University of Puerto Rico. So I did that for about seven years. And that was some of like the things that made me feel the best. Having those conversations with students about how do you decide if, if we're the right company or not? How do we decide if you're if you're the right fit for us? Helping them through that, then seeing them come in, managing them as interns or as early career people. And as I kept going up and got to the point where I was managing a very large team of, of 31 employees at the plant, that's what I fell in love with was my one-on-one meetings with people, helping them kind of navigate, how do I get promoted potentially? Yeah. And I knew something was there. Mm. At that point, tying in the, the personal life in it, if we think of different theories, right? It's the, how, that your life has to be part of what you're thinking about in your career. Okay. My wife now had worked, we said we went to Australia. So we went to Australia, we were there for, for some time, then came back. 
We had one week in the in the mainland United States, went to Puerto Rico, got married. During that time, Puerto Rico is when they called me, told me I was going to be the manager at the Buffalo plant. Oh, so boy. got back. After being married for just two days, I told her, hey, I'll see you in a few weeks. I'm going to go to Buffalo and drive across the country. And she still had her job in Minneapolis, but she had been in Australia and then now in Buffalo. So about two, two and a half years working remotely. Yeah. So we needed to take that into account. And we said, is that what she wants to do? Is that how she wants to continue her career? What opportunities do we both have? And we also wanted to be closer to family. We wanted to start our own family and we had nobody close to us. One of the drawbacks of traveling so much for work, we get to see some really cool places in the world, but we were never close to family. So her family was in Arizona. We found this opportunity. And something I didn't know is that a lot of state universities, when you work for them, they'll help with your education. And Arizona has an amazing program for that where you actually only pay very, very little amount of tuition when you're doing any of the programs, as long as you're an employee there. So that allowed me to explore something different. And I settled eventually on my master's of education and educational leadership, which was funny because I started in a master's of engineering and my first class was a quality engineering class. <laughs> and literally the first test, I, I finished it and I went home and told my wife, what am I doing? Like, I literally just left this world and I just took a quality engineering test. So I called my advisor right then and there the next day and told him, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to do this, but I'm, I'm going to have to leave the program. And he completely understood. Yeah. Again, it's those little experiments. I may do them differently than other people, but I just go full in and, and get that experience. And it helped me understand that something where I was working with people was where I needed to be. So that conversation with your advisor when you or with the program lead that you said, I'm leaving this program, did you know you were going to go into education at that point? Or did you have a discussion like, help me figure out where I should be? Yeah. Once I moved over to higher ed, I actually looked at a couple of programs and I knew education was somewhere where I might want to go. So I had looked at that. And then because of the fear of going into the unknown, yeah. I tabled that and and started looking at engineering programs. So when I when I talked with him, I already knew and had the whole background of the programs I had studied and which ones were the better programs for what reason, which ones I fit for. And it was actually really helpful to have that conversation. He was a an engineering faculty, but I told him what, what I'm really passionate about potentially is helping STEM students figure out their careers and get some of these really cool opportunities that I had. And he connected me with a faculty that was in the College of Education with their PhD in STEM education. So it built that network for me without, without it, that being my intention. But he took it so well and just asked me a couple more questions like, why? What are you thinking? What do you want to do? And he himself was like, you're right. This doesn't seem like the right program for you. You've, you've already kind of done some of this where you were and you left it for a reason. I think there's another little hidden lesson in here. That one little shift in taking that HR role on changed your whole trajectory. So kind of reminds me of the chaos theory or happenstance where one little different thing changed your whole future outlook. And that's just such an interesting thing. I mean, just reminding listeners to be open to opportunities like that. You never know if it might take you down a better path or something that interests you more. But but now you are currently the assistant director for career programming at Northern Arizona, which is in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Yes. Northern Arizona University, so NAU. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that role a little bit? Yeah. 
So I'll back up one one role because I before com- getting to this area, I started in admissions. Mm-hmm. If you're ever looking to get a start in higher education, admissions or advising is a place where a lot of people start. I took a leap and went from making a ton of money as an engineer to starting literally at the bottom um, in higher education. But I, I felt that's something I needed to do because it was such a, a new area. And I wanted to know what it was being in the front lines of higher education and helping students. And that got me to interact with a lot of high school students, eventually finding my way to this assistant director position where the job description of those that you read it. And I was like, this is me. I, I, this is this, I need to be in that role because this is what I want to do. And it was one-on-one appointments with students, presentations in classrooms, working with faculty and stakeholders across the university I was going to get to manage a team, which is something that I was missing for the for the few years that I didn't get to do that. Because when you start at the entry level, you don't, yeah, they don't no, give no, you a team to manage immediately. No team. <laughs> so got, got to do that grow. And, and it's given me so many cool opportunities because I'm getting to do things that I talk to some of my friends who are in even still, but back in, in uh, another industry that, I, that I've worked at. And I tell them what I'm doing. And they're like, well, you get to talk to students and really just have these conversations with them to help them find their way. And I think that's the beauty of my role right now is a student might come in and they set up a resume appointment. And when they get there, we end up talking about life. Yeah. <laughs> and we end up talking about why, why did you come here today? What, what do you want to get out of it? And we might end up doing three, four, three or four more appointments, but that's what they needed at that moment. It wasn't a resume. They were just looking for somebody to talk to that they don't have in their, in their immediate circle. So that helps me. I, I love being able to facilitate some of those conversations and and have that with them. Definitely. Right. Absolutely. And I love that you went in and took your first test as a in as a master's program in quality and walked out and said, This is not for me. I mean, you just listened to your gut. You just knew you were going down the wrong path. I love how you made that switch. And even though it's gonna cost you income and but it's joy. You, you, it's giving you joy in your life and you feel like this is your purpose. And I don't know, I really admire that you did that. That's a great switch. So, and, and I'll touch on the yeah. income really quickly. That was never something. And, and I know that this is a hard place to get to. Right. So I'm not saying it's easy, no. but it was never something that drove our decision. We, we knew it was something we needed to be mindful of because we needed to pay bills and have a house and we have a, our son that we need to take care of. But it wasn't going to drive our decision to say we need to make this amount of money because we need to buy a bigger house or better cars. Like we we were very centered, both of us, and that helped us as we were going through all these changes. Thank right. you had each other and you were on the same page. That really makes a difference. But I do have to ask you quickly. But I know Bobby has a question. But did you get an A on that quality assurance <laughs> test that you took? I, I had an A to that point, yes, which was even more why. When I talked to the program coordinator and not the advisor, she was like, why? Like, why are you, why are you leaving the program? You've got an A right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason I got an A on that. I've yeah, been doing this. teaching this class. But anyway, um, I do want to also highlight for our listeners that you were willing to start out at the bottom in higher ed. So admissions, not that that's, the bottom. But as you said, it's a great place to connect and meet other people in higher ed and sort of get a lay of the land, what interests you in that area. Um, But being willing to take that step back to 
launch a new path is really pretty important, I think. But I know Bobby had and, questions. And one thing I knew at the moment was that the skills I had learned weren't going to keep me in that entry level for very long, right? I, I was able to pretty quickly move up from that to a coordinator to then being an assistant director. Yeah. And it's because I had these other skills that I was bringing to the table. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that was pretty quick because you've been there how long? Three and a half years yeah, now. So you did. You made that move pretty quick with all that experience. So no, I was, my question was more of, can you tell us a story? So tell us about a student you worked with and how you were able to help that student out, figure out what they want to do. Absolutely. One of my favorite stories is a student from Mexico. Um, so he's, we, we got actually quite a few international students here at NAU and he came in and one of the biggest things that we try to do is make sure that students know that our services are here because we're a centralized service that doesn't need to be used, right? Nobody's saying, if you don't go to the career development office, you don't graduate. Yeah. Um, but we went to the international pavilion that we have on campus to do their orientation and we met with him. And when I say we, it was me and one of my team members. And we talked about all the services that we offer. The next day he was in our office to come meet with us. So we already knew like he's all, he's a go-getter. He's trying to, to learn what he's trying to do. Right. We took his resume from, he was like, I don't know how to write a resume to get a job in the U.S. Wow. I'm like, well, you came to the right place, right? Yeah, <laughs> we, right. we can help you with this. Yep. And with, within three meetings, we had completely been able to get all of his experiences in there. The reason I remember this, this student so much is he was studying electrical engineering but what he was really passionate about was teaching English to people that had English as a second language because he was bilingual since he was little. So he was afraid to put that on his resume because he didn't know how it was going to look as being an engineer and putting that. And he didn't want to tell his parents, I'm passionate about this area. So we were able to kind of just work through all that and eventually found him a job on campus with our international, our Center for International Education literally teaching a lot of the students who are international students to come in how to do proper English writing and proper English as they were transitioning into NAU. So it was like a, this perfect fit of job that came up for him. That's amazing. That's a great yeah. story. Great. I love that. So do you think this student will maintain that track or is he still working on his engineering degree simultaneously? He is. He is working on his engineering degree and, and we got to have the conversation of how he can take the skills that he has there and apply them in engineering. Cause that's something that he didn't put those dots together. He thought it was just going to be, go and be an, a technical resource at a plant. But I told him, you know what? Engineers do training. They do development of others. You have to do um, procedures. And if you're in Mexico and you're in a, an American company, you, you might need to write bilingual procedures, that type of stuff. So a lot of the things that you have for and skills that you're bringing are very, very important. And we talked about the opportunity that he's going to have to be able to also travel as an engineer to different countries. So that's something he liked a lot is that cultural exchange and experience. Yeah. And you could really speak to that being bilingual and knowing how those opportunities have served you well. And sure. yeah, in that respect, that's really amazing. Okay. So I was just kind of curious too. So you kind of touched on it back a little bit, and this is more about your wife's career now. So is she an engineer too, or is she, because you said. She, she is not. Yeah. She, she went to Arizona State University. Yeah. and studied supply chain management. Okay. Um, so very, very good supply chain management and business school. And that's how we we actually met at General Mills. I started a year before she did at the West Chicago plant. Okay. The day I was leaving for Mexico was her first day in the plant. So we like saw each other's like, hi, hi. bye. And, <laughs> I, and I didn't see her for another, for another like three or four okay. months. Yeah. Because 
because when you when you said you made the move to New York and you were saying that she had to leave her job in Minneapolis or I yes. I was trying to like I'm like well wait a minute that sounds familiar because that's where Gen- you were working at General Mills there so. we, we've been so lucky and again this is one of those I, I keep saying lucky we've worked very hard, hard for yeah. for having these opportunities but we have had um, good luck of finding always positions in the same institutions or organizations yeah so when we were both at General Mills together until I left and then she stayed another year still working remotely, which was an amazing opportunity to have because she got to move to Flagstaff. We kept that base salary yeah. while we were both yes. figuring out our other part. Yeah. Um, and then about a year later, this opportunity opened up. She actually works at the Center for International Education here at Northern uh-huh. Arizona University. And she's managing a program where she helps students go and do interdisciplinary programs between STEM or business programs and a second language. Wow. So they'll do four four years of their program for engineering, but then go to Spain and do one year where they do a full immersion and do an internship over there. Wow. So you guys have something. Which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. You guys have things to talk about at night, you guys. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's really fun when we get to talk about it. Our conversations are so different. And, yeah. and, I, and I loved, we both loved our time at General Mills, but we also love what we're doing here because we're seeing that immediate impact that we're having on a student's life. Absolutely. And so where would you like to see yourself in, you know, this sounds like a resume or interview question. Where would you like to see yourself in five years? But no, I mean, do you see yourself moving from this to something else or is this where you want to be right where you are? Great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I'm figuring that out as I go. I've, I've got a pretty good sense of what I want to do. Um, I, I love the career part of it. The next step that I'm still figuring out in the next few years is we loved Chicago. Chicago might be the next place where we want to go and kind of settle in. My my wife's sister is there Mm -hmm. and they're having a a baby. So it'd be nice to have our kids grow up together, all that stuff. So that gives me an opportunity or, or both of us an opportunity to say, do we love what we're doing? Can we find something in the private industry where we could do this? So could I go into recruitment, talent acquisition? Could I go into more of like a human resources mm-hmm. um, function? Sure. Where I could be back in more of like a, a track that I could potentially grow a little more and, and get some better income. Or do I want to stay and become a director at a university, um, either in the career services area, which I think is the part that I've liked the most, right? or doing that in combination with being an adjunct faculty or being able to get into the classroom, which means education, more education might be in my future. So I'm considering what programs I want to do and, and looking also at the difference between if I do I want to do a doctorate of education or do I want to go into a PhD when I can formalize more and maybe organizational um, development, organizational leadership, or or something more in the human resource area. So that those are kind of that's that's all kind of stirring in my mind all at the same so those time. Early impulses back in the day were maybe coming full circle, but probably in a different area. Well, anybody in Chicago that <laughs> Jose, give <laughs> a shout out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, so that also reminds me of an interview we just did with um, Michelle Weiss. And speaking of that as yeah, well. And yeah, and how we go through a pattern of learn, work, learn, work, learn, work, and especially more today than ever. And 
one of the best things in her book that she wrote, Long Life Learning, Preparing for Jobs That Don't Even Exist Yet, is that people are going to live to, to be 150 years old and those people have already been born. That blows my mind, just even thinking of that and how, well, you know, you're not going to retire in your 60s anymore, you know, unless you're a billionaire, but most of us are going to keep working and learning. We're going to go through that work-learn pattern and here you are already thinking, might need to get some more education and that's just how it is. Yeah. And it wasn't easy talking to the day I had to leave. I think these are the things people don't talk about a lot of times. The day I had to leave General Mills, a company that treated me so well, gave me so many opportunities. Handing in that resignation letter and calling all my mentors, all of my people who had held me up. I went to Chicago and the move from from Puerto Rico to the mainland is almost like moving to a different country of in a course. lot of ways. Yes. And I'm and I'm there alone. These these people were my aunts, my uncles, right. my brothers, my sisters. They, they they became that for me because I didn't have like my Thanksgiving was with them, my Christmas was with them. Um, having to call these people up and tell them I'm doing this, not everybody understands and has the same vision of of being like what? Like after you've done all this, you're just gonna right. let it all go and leave. Luckily, I have people who were very supportive and they were saying like, I look, I wish I I had made the decision you made and and could just go and do that. But there's always like this feeling of like that imposter syndrome, that outsider Mm -hmm. piece of it. Sure. But I quickly was always able to find those mentors over here. I have them now at NAU too and and in higher education to be able to kind of go to them in times of weakness. Because it is, you have those times where you're like, what did I do? I could literally go and interview for a quality manager, a quality director role and very easily go and do that. Um, and I knew I had that in my back pocket, right. but being able to sit down with them and say, talk to me, help me, help me understand what's next, all these pieces. That's always been very important. And I feel the people who don't have that are at a disadvantage or don't pursue having those networks. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great tip for people to take away. Look for those mentors, no matter what your situation, you need them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm guessing that you've become a mentor to several people yourself. And, and that's just how it goes. Absolutely. And when, and when you ask me what's next, I at some point in my life would want to be at that point where when I retire and I'm in at that age of retirement, I can go and potentially be consulting for leadership and management in other places. And all these things come together. They will. I, yeah. I, I think for I think I'm going to be much more better fitted to help somebody manage in a manufacturing environment because I was a manager in a manufacturing environment right. than just studying manufa- uh, manufacturing theory or leadership theory. So I think all those things, I'm bringing them with me. Those are those calluses that I've built now that I can show people. Definitely. And that's another thing, actually, Michelle Weiss touches upon I asked her for recommendations for career services and or what higher ed could be doing. And she thinks this idea of interdisciplinary studying, like seeing how the different areas sort of support each other for growth. There's so much crossover. So yeah, I think you're right. And what your wife is doing, it sounds like uh, she's working in that area as well. But Anyway, we should probably think about moving on to the rapid fire. What do you think, Bobby? <laughs> Jose, are you, have you been warned about the rapid fire? Or you, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I wasn't warned, but I'm ready. <laughs> I don't I did, like to give anybody too much warning. <laughs> I don't warn anybody, no. <laughs> it's harmless. It's fun. It's just a fun way to end. These discussions are pretty deep and real and career focused, and which is great. That's what our listeners are looking for. But it's always fun to end on a light note. So, okay. If you have a scar on your body, (laughs) what is your best scar story? 
I've got many. I was a wild child. I was uh, the youngest in my house, um, all boys. So oh boy. I was the one where they told go jump and we figured it out. Um, <laughs> but one of the best ones is my brother and I put on <laughs> shirts to cover our eyes and we were doing a race from the, my parents' room. And we lived in this small, like two bedroom apartment in an apartment building mm-hmm. from there to the living room. Little did I know, since I was the youngest by at least five years, that he was going on one side where he could touch the wall and never have to not know where he was going. I was going on the side that had the bathroom, the kitchen, (laughs) and another room. So I ran right into the corner of that wall. Uh, My mom was used to this by now. Um, So she was she was actually in in the shower and was like heard this thump and and came out, took us to hospital, all that stuff. Oh, no. The next day, the the day that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The stitches. The day they took out my stitches, finally, like it's finally healing. We're going up the elevator. My brother's spinning a basketball in his hands. And when it falls off, where does it land? Boom. On my stitches. Yeah. So that's one of my best um, stories of stitches. on. (laughs) How many boys did you say? Three at home. I have have three older brothers, but only three of us because one of them is 17 years old. So he wasn't with us during that mischief. Yeah. I'm the youngest of seven and there's a 16 year gap between us. So we know about that. Okay. All right. Are you superstitious? In sports, Yes. Most other things. No, I need to put, I played basketball and I played basketball through college. Um, I would always put my left sock on, then my right sock, then my (laughs) left shoe, then my right shoe, then tie my my left shoe, all of that. And I, I always had my rituals going into games. I love that. I love that. Hey, you have to have your game rituals. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Best live performance you've seen. Oh, that one's easy. We were somehow lucky enough to win tickets when we were in Minneapolis to go see Paul McCartney live. Oh, wow. And it was on my wife's birthday. I had not bought a present yet. So I was like, yes, this is awesome. Double win. Yes. He's making a big comeback. He's just released a album, I think, and it's doing really yeah. well. Yeah. He did like five curtain calls, which was so impressive. Was at, he was already 70 something at that point. Yeah. Well, he's an amazing yeah. guy. Hey, if you haven't seen it, you know, Carpool Karaoke with James Corden, the one he does with Paul McCartney, I recommend it. <laughs> okay. I got to watch that <laughs> Definitely one. Definitely watch it. It's so good. Okay. Can you play an instrument or sing? I sang in choir. I was in choir all the way through high school and I loved it. I do not have the same, um, <laughs> the same, the same ease of ease, ease of singing nowadays. And once one of my biggest regrets is never learning how to play an instrument I, yeah. for our son. We're like, we want you to play an instrument. Cause I wish I would have at least learned the guitar. Well, you still have time. Yes. <laughs> You're young. You can definitely learn that. Okay. If you suddenly had the ability to compete in the Olympics, all of a sudden you have this gift. What's, what event would you compete in? It would have to be track and field. Yeah. I've always loved track and field. And I would be in one of the sprinting events. Um, probably the 200 or maybe start going into the 400. I've I've put some thought into this before. You have a pretty stellar track team there at NAU. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I I cannot compete with any of them. An amazing coach. An amazing coach. Yeah, Yeah. Mike. Okay. (laughs) All right. Food you could not live without. This is, it shouldn't be, but pizza and lasagna. Well, that's what's wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because it's not good for for any of us. I can't. And we overeat it for sure. Pizza is definitely on my list. Chocolate, uh, pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What have you recently binge watched? Oh, which one were we? What, we just started watching because we 
I did a marathon where I said, I want to watch all of the Marvel movies in timeline order. Yep. So then that led us to watching the Agent, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, which I didn't even I know really existed. That. Is it good? And we're, we're in like the first season. I don't like the show as much as the movies, but it's 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 fun to kind of extend yeah. the life of what you can watch in Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's something you don't want it to end. So you, you need something else. <laughs> okay. Are you a good dancer? We, you have to be in Puerto Rico. You have to <laughs> oh. dance salsa. Or my, and my wife is Colombian. So yes. Oh. You guys can cut it up for sure. Yeah, my niece <laughs> lives in uh, Medellin. Yeah, yeah, she loves Colombia. Okay, are you a Mr. Fix-It or a duct tape kind of guy? <laughs> Ooh, um, I'm, I'm going to lean more towards duct tape, but I can fix stuff if I need to. Okay. <laughs> I would think with all that problem-solving background. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, but you know, you get exhausted with that. You just like, can't we put some duct tape on that or something? Okay. <laughs> All right. Last one. First thing you notice about a person. Um, that's a hard one. Um, it is. I think how they communicate with others. So th- are they nice to people or not? I mm-hmm. think that that tells me a lot about a person. That sure does. <laughs> Oh, way to go, Jose. It wasn't that tough. <laughs> you didn't you didn't stumble over one of the questions either. No. You didn't answer for everything. But Jose, thank you so much for coming on and doing the podcast with us today and sharing all your amazing knowledge of quality engineering and packaging science and switching to a whole different discipline. But how sort of all your backgrounds combined into helping you with every step of the way. But thanks so much. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to find this really helpful. So For sure. Thank you all for having me. And anyone who ever wants to find me, Jose Diaz Aquino is the best way to find me on any of my different um, networks. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes so people can find you easily because people are going to be like, spell that? How's that? (laughs) (laughs) We will include that. But Jose, I admire you. I think you are someone that people can look up to and emulate to think about how maybe they want to go through their careers. And so thank you for sharing that story with us. Thank you. Thank you. And, I, and I've listened to the episodes that you all have, and it's amazing what you all are doing. So it's really cool to be a part of it. All right. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks and have a great rest of your day. Well, that was an amazing podcast. Jose was fantastic. We knew he would be and he didn't disappoint. That's for sure. (laughs) Hearing about the career switch was so interesting and inspiring. And I think anybody that was listening would get a lot out of that today. Absolutely. And just thinking in terms of how lucky the students are that Jose works with or anybody Mm -hmm. that uh, he seems just so dedicated no matter which direction he's going in. But thank you so much, Jose, for coming on the podcast and sharing all your knowledge about being a quality assurance engineer and being a career development expert over there at NAU. There you go. All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening. If you could subscribe, rate, review, we'd really appreciate it. You know it helps us out. So do us a, yep. do us a solid. Yes. <laughs> Let's get those numbers up. Help us out. Thank you so Help much, everybody, for listening and have a great week. All right. Take care. And this has been an Academic and Career Advising Services production. 